All right. So my youngest son, Zane, um, we'll look at this. Can you go over to the next picture here? Um, Zane, uh, he likes to get dirty, um, as you can kind of tell there. He also has some certain clothes he likes a little better than others, certain socks that he might like a little better than others. And so after playing outside and getting filthy, you know, we, we get him cleaned up, and then he's back to his cute little self there. Um, but however, every once in a while, he finds a way to sneak some of those old clothes. You go to the next picture. Uh, th- th- and he gets a little hungry, right? And so he, he likes to put some of those old clothes back on that, that he th- that haven't been washed. They're a little stinky. Uh, and so this clean boy now is wearing some, some old clothes. And unfortunately, many of us in our spiritual lives kind of do the same thing, right? So, so Jesus gives us a new life, a new self. We're born again. But those old clothes of the flesh that we like to kind of still are dirty, sometimes we, we still like to try them on every once in a while. So, so join me as we get into the, the word for today, Colossians 3, 7 through 11. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, Lord, open up our hearts and minds to have it not only go into our brains, go into our ears, but may it go into our heart. May, we, may, may it change who we are on the inside. That only happens through the work of your Holy Spirit. It can't just be by us working harder or trying to do better, Lord. It's only by your grace and your mercy and your work in our lives. So, God, I just pray that you start working on us in a mighty way so that we can get into the Scripture and grow through it and that we may leave, leave here changed, not because of anything I did or anything that, that we did as even active listening, but because of what you do through your Word and through your Spirit. We thank you so much for the opportunity to gather and to worship together and the freedom to do this, and we never want to take that for granted. So praise you, Lord. We love you, and we thank you. Amen. So today we're going to discuss three ways that we should put put off the old life, put away the old life. Number one, as a believer in Christ, you should put away the old walk. You should put away the old walk. And I'm going to read uh, verses 7 through the first part of 9 again. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. In these two you once Walk. So he just mentioned last week sexual morality, uh, covetousness, uh, idolatry, and now he's about to open up another list. We had five there, now we're going to have six more today. And he states that they used to walk in these. And, and what he means by that is that they didn't just do sin, they were sin. They were walking in sin. It was their lifestyle. It wasn't just they did some bad things. It was, hey, you were bad. Uh, you were evil, right? And, and that's how we are before we're believers. We are evil. We are bad. There's nothing good in us. Uh, Romans 3, no one is good, not even one, right? And now he, he's getting to this, and he says, okay, you've been commanded to put them to death, and, and these, these bad things, these evil sins, uh, in verse 5, and now here we see in verse 8 that he urges them to put them all away, these, these other sins that we have, right? 
And this word, put them away, is apotithemi, uh, which is a Greek word that actually I got this idea of putting away old clothes. It actually meant to cast off old, worn-out, dirty garments. So, you know, you, you'd have these clothes, and they're really old, and so you would cast them off. You'd put them away, put them all away at that point. Paul tells the church you have to take your old ways off like you take uh, dirty old clothes and you get rid of them and throw them in the trash. That's what we need to do with our old, the, the sinful flesh, right? And you put to death. But th- at this point, we get this new list of sins. So we just hit a, a hard five last week. Now we got another hard six this week. And Paul's not pulling any punches. I mean, he just kind of brings it right to us. And uh, let's go ahead and just jump into him. The first we see is put off anger. Put off anger. I think most of us understand what anger is, right? We, we kind of get that idea. This Greek word here for anger actually is more of a, a chronic anger, a chronic uh, bitterness, resentment, uh, just kind of this thing. Because we see that there is, there is righteous anger. Jesus in Matthew 21, 12 through 13, cast off, cast over, or turned over the tables in the temple because they were uh, selling in the temple of God. Uh, they were taking advantage of people, stealing money, lots of thievery going on there with the people. They were using it to, to try to make themselves rich, selling sacrifices for exorbitant amounts that were required by the law, but it was just a dirty, dirty business. And, but this, this anger is a smoldering anger. It's a chronic anger, and this type of attitude in the mind and heart of a believer is not fitting for us. James goes a step further in James 1, 19 through 20, and he says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be, qu- be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So we're to, we're to be slow to be anger, a- angry. When, when man or woman, woman gives themselves a chronic anger, bad things are going to happen. And, and we're going to see that actually this next word that we get to, which is put off wrath. Put off wrath. So while anger is kind of this state of bitterness, resentment, this smoldering, uh, just whole affect of I'm kind of mad at the world. Well, wrath is the result of that anger that's smoldering. So I kind of compare anger to this like this pot that is just about to boil. And it's always at, you know, you know right 211 degrees, right? Uh, it's always right before uh, that 212, so before it's going to boil, uh, or 100 degrees Celsius if you're from another country, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's right before that boiling point. And it just stays at 99 Celsius. And all it takes is one more thing. It's almost like an active volcano, right? An active volcano, you see it there, and it's like, you know, you'll see little tiny lava things kind of go up every once in a while, but all it takes is one external force, one movement of the plates, one change in the magma, you know, some other rock that kind of gets in there that starts to melt that may be lighter and start to come to the top, and boom, it explodes. Well, anger gets you to that point where wrath is the active outpouring of that anger that's already in there. It's a sudden outburst of anger that was already brewing, I tend to think of, of wrath in that way. And, and the Bible obviously says that God has wrath, but his wrath is always calculated, as we talked about before. It, it's not just, oh, he's surprised and it comes out. Man can't do wrath. Uh, we, we do not have any ability to pour out wrath on someone else that's not sinful. It's going to always be sinful because we don't know how to do it in the right way. Uh, so if you look at Proverbs, they're full of things about this. And Proverbs 29 11 states, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. This is one of those fruits of the spirit, self-control, where it's so important to have control over yourself and over your emotions. And when you catch yourself getting more and more angry and starting to build up, you got to know how to give that to the Lord. 
You've got to know how to diffuse that and, and, and let the Spirit of God work on you to give you peace. It's also one of the fruits of the Spirit there. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, written by Paul as well, he states this, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So what we're seeing here is this anger, this smoldering anger, leads to wrath, right? And it leads to sin. And, and we see here that this is not going to bring out righteousness. Bad things are going to happen. You're going to sin. You're going to do bad things because you haven't had self-control. You haven't asked for the peace that, that God can give you. And what does it do? It gives the devil an opportunity. So if you look at someone who is prone to anger, man, they are just, the devil loves that. All it takes is just one external force, and boom, your reputation is ruined. Uh, we saw at the Oscars recently. That's what happened. So you see a man who is angry. You see a man who's in a marriage that's not great. You see a man who has a lot going on. You see a man without the Spirit of God. And what happens when an external force happens? A joke is made. He goes up and he smacked the guy. I mean, it's probably, that's probably the best case scenario. It could have been a lot worse. But that's what happens when we allow anger, we allow bitterness, resentment to continue to build up. The devil takes an opportunity. And as we move forward, we get to malice, which is kind of a continued move in the same direction. So this isn't as common of a word that we use today, but it's, tr- it's, tra- it's kind of um, well translated to be wishing to do harm to someone or at least desiring that harm befall a person. So one who has a malicious heart towards someone will rejoice when that person suffers, but they'll suffer when that person rejoices. You get that? So, so when someone has something good happen to them and you, are, you have a malicious feeling toward that person, it will ruin your life. It's ruining your day. Oh, I can't believe he got that promotion. That guy's such a jerk. I don't like him. Well, the, you're, just, you're allowing your entire joy to be affected by someone else because of your malicious feelings toward that person. Uh, and when things go bad for them, then you're gloating, thinking, yeah, they got what's coming to them. I'm glad that guy got fired. I've been waiting for him to get canned for a while. You know, you're allowing your entire affect, your entire heart to be uh, affected by someone else. It, it chokes the joy out of your life, completely destroys your life. And, and this develops because of what we saw in Ephesians, right? You've let the sun go down in your anger. You haven't reconciled things with someone else. Someone has sinned against you and you haven't dealt with it. And even if you try to deal with it, and let's say that they just give you the hand and they say, I'm not dealing with this. I don't really like you anyway. Well, you still haven't dealt with it by giving it to the Lord and forgiving that person, not because they deserve it, but because the Lord has commanded you. We're, we're commanded not to hate even our enemies. We're, we're commanded to love our enemies. And the reason that that is, it's not always for their, their benefit. Some of our enemies will burn in hell. I mean, that sounds awful, but it's just true. Some people will not ever come to a saving knowledge of Christ, and they will... Us forgiving them, us doing that's not really doing them anything, any good on this side of eternity. We do it because God loves us, and he doesn't want us to be choked by anger and resentment and malicious feelings because that destroys your spiritual life. I've seen so many people have so much potential that, that do love the Lord, but their, their issue with anger, their issue with dealing with these issues chokes their spiritual life and keeps them from growing. And if you're so focused on other people, you're not focused on God. So that, that is the biggest thing. They become your idol. You're almost worshiping that person that you hate whenever you allow anger to, to kind of go, go through this. So it's just as much for yourself, if not more so, for yourself that God gives you that command to forgive and to, to not let the sun go down on your anger. 
In the same vein, we can continue moving forward with these, these issues with, with slander. So put off slander is the next one here. Whereas malice is wishing that something bad happened to someone, or uh, slander's actively trying to make that happen. So, so slander uh, is speaking against someone in such a way to damage their reputation. It, it takes its worst form as deliberately spreading false information behind another's back. And I, I'm sure my brother Randy, being in, in the politics world, you know what it's like to be slandered. I know what it's like to be slandered as a physician. Uh, we all know what it's like to be slandered for the most part. Some people that are in more public personas, uh, people say things about us. And so what do we do with that? So for, from, our, from ourselves, when we are slandered, we're to give it to the Lord. He will avenge for us. He will repay, saith the Lord. We don't have to, to pour out our wrath on someone else because they've said this or they've done that, right? It's up to the Lord to do that. But, but what about us? Maybe, maybe we slander people at times. Maybe we say something. We gossip and, oh, I'm just saying this because I, I just want to have a prayer request or I have, I have a concern. I have a concern about Kevin, so let me just share it with, with Randy over here. And, and, let's, and it's not really a concern. It's, I don't like Kevin, and I just want to say something bad about Kevin to you so you don't like Kevin too, right? Uh, and, and Jim, and I just want everybody, sorry, Kevin, I'm just picking on you here today. But, you know, so, so the issue is not that I really care it's that I really just want people not to like this person. And, and this, this word slander actually comes from the Greek word blasphemia. Does that sound familiar? Blasphemy. So the same word that is used to blaspheme God, to slander God, is the same word that's used to blaspheme or slander man. That kind of rocks your world a little bit, doesn't it? So obviously we know that, that there's a strong judgment on those who blaspheme God. Uh, we know that there's very strong words of judgment there. And obviously we know that blaspheming God's a bigger deal than blaspheming man. That's why we see the word slander used uh, when he talks about man and, and, and blaspheme used when we talk about God. But we also have to realize that man is made in what? The imago Dei, the image of God, as we talked about in growth group this morning. So next time you feel the urge to speak ill of someone, remind yourself that they're made in the image of God. And it's even worse if they're a fellow believer. Because not only are they made in the image of God, but they are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when you slander and you speak poorly and you try to damage the reputation of a fellow brother or sister in Christ, even that you may not like, sometimes we don't like our brothers and sisters, right? Sometimes they do something that makes us mad, but we still are to love them and to speak well of them. And next time you think about that, see them as one who is made in the image of God one who has the Holy Spirit indwelling them. So when you slander them, you're slandering them along with God because they are representative, representative of God to the world. Next, we kind of change gears, and, and I think this still kind of comes from a similar vein, but, but we're going to change gears to put off obscene talk. Put off obscene talk. Uh, now I'm just meddling a little bit more. I mean, this just continues to, Paul, Paul just likes to press in on pressure points. You know, things that we struggle with in our lives, in our culture, and he just pushes in. And we had sexual morality we talked about last week that makes you uncomfortable. You're like, oh, man. And now, now, now he's pushing in on our mouths, on what we say. This word here can mean foul language or filthy talk. And it encompasses really a whole vocabulary that's not befitting to come out of the mouth of a believer. James clearly addresses this in chapter 3 of his epistle. I highly suggest you read it this week. He does a great job at talking about this. 
In James 3, 6, he says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Wow, that's our tongue. That's our mouth. Uh, he has some pretty strong words there, doesn't he? He's saying that our mouth is a dangerous weapon, uh, maybe even more dangerous than a physical weapon that we may use. And we need to be sure that we use our language, our mouth, our words to build others up and not tear others down. Listen to James as he moves on a couple verses later in verse 10. It says, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Brothers, these things ought not to be so. James lets us know that we use our mouth to sing praises to God, right? We, we, we just sing some worship songs to God. And that same mouth may be the same mouth that slanders our neighbor. That same mouth may be the same mouth that speaks ill of someone, that, that says vulgar profanities, that, 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 that says a sexual innuendo, right? All these kind of things. So here's the question. Uh, do you catch yourself being quick to say things that are hurtful or harmful to others? Do you, do you catch yourself saying things that are improper for a believer? And when you speak of some of the subjects with your friends, your families, work colleagues, if Jesus was in the room, would you still say the same things? Would you tell that same joke? Would you watch that same thing? Would you say those same words? Jesus told us that we can tell a lot about a person by what comes out of their mouth. And this is a extremely, you know, people that have a view of Jesus as always just being this cuddly, you know, uh, passive Jesus, uh, they don't read the Bible. Because Matthew 12, 34, he, he, is, he is awesome to us. Those who are repentant, uh, repentant those who give themselves he, a bruised reed, he will not break. Yes, he is grace-filled and merciful. But to those who have hard hearts, this is what he says. This is to the Pharisees. You brood of vipers. That's a pretty tough word. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Hear his strong rebuke to the Pharisees as he speaks to them. What comes out of their mouth isn't just, oh, you know, just kind of flying, flying off, you know, loose lips, whatever you want to say. He says what's coming out of your mouth is overflowing from your heart. The things that come out of your mouth, it's just a great barometer. It's a great measurement of what's going on inside, right? So often we excuse things that we say by saying, I didn't really mean that. I, or other people, well, they didn't really mean that. It was just in the heat of the moment. What happens when we get squeezed, when, when, when trials and temptation happen? If we have that anger, we have that bitterness, that resentment, that smoldering anger. When we squeeze, what comes out of the heart? Angry words, uh, you know, cut downs, things that we've been wanting to say, but we're just waiting for the right time to say it, things that were in our hearts. Jesus says, no, the things that you say do matter, and they actually are coming out of your heart. It's not that you're just a wonderful person who says things that are bad. He says, you are actually a bad person, and out of that bad heart, bad things come out. He says, you can judge a tree by its fruit. When, when you squeeze, I was just talking to my kids the other day, when you squeeze a fruit, what comes out of it is what the fruit is, right? If it's a lemon, it's sour, why? Because it was a lemon to begin with. If it's an orange, it's sweet. Why? Because it was an orange to begin with, right? So when we get squeezed, it doesn't, it shows what's inside, right? It, you, you can say all kinds of things. You can, when, when things aren't really going bad for you and, and you feel good and, and things are great, it's easy to put on a face. It's, it's easy to do the right things, make the right decisions, because you're not being squeezed at the time. Life's going well, you've got good sleep, you've You've eaten well, things are, you know, you, it's, it's easy to have self-control, 
when you're in control, when things are going okay. But what happens when life squeezes you, temptations fall, financial struggles start, uh, marital struggles start, or, or kids start to misbehave, or, or there's something at work, or something, what comes out at that point when you start to get squeezed? When there's some conflict, what, what, what is your response? What comes out of your mouth? When you, when you get mad and somebody just presses your button, what's the first thing that comes out? Well, that's an issue. That's a hard issue. Jesus says it's a hard issue. And so when you're squeezed, bad things come out. You need to repent. You need to ask God to cleanse your heart and your mind. Don't just help you to do the right things. Help you to be right with God. And that, and that is something that Jesus taught so clearly. He said the Pharisees, they're like whitewashed tombs. What did he mean by that? He meant if you looked at the outside, it looked really pretty. Whitewashed, it was kind of like, oh, man, think of it freshly clean, everything's pristine. But what did he say about the inside of that tomb? It's full of dead man's bones. We've got to make sure that's not us. Sometimes we may look okay on the outside. We can come to church for an hour or two, and, and we can look pretty. We can look you know, like we're dressed up. We're, oh, things are going great in our lives, but... Are we, on the inside, is, are there dead man's bones? Are, are, we, are we right with the Lord? Have we given our life fully to Christ? Have we allowed him to cleanse us, not on just the outside, not just helping us to do better? We can't do better until we are made better, and we can't make ourselves better. Christ has to do that in us. He has to give us a new heart, a heart for him. So I pray that we, uh, we allow him and ask him to cleanse us from the inside out, not from the outside in. Finally, we come to lying. Uh, this is closely related to slander that we talked about a little while ago, so put off lying. It's embracing falsehood in either word or deed. When we lie, we are embracing the heart of Satan. There's no better uh, way to describe it than that. And Jesus says this too. You are of your father the devil. See, pretty tough again. <laughs> uh, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Lying is the very nature of Satan and evil. Theologian Sam Storms gives us three reasons we may lie. Number one, to get what we want. You lie to try to figure out a way to get what you want. Number two, we want power. We want prestige. And lastly, we want pride. I'm sure there's other reasons we could add, but I thought those were pretty pretty telling of why we may lie. And there's so much truth to this because we may lie because we covet something. We'll lie our way to get something. We may fudge the numbers on our tax return so that we can apply for a loan for a car that we covet. Uh, we may lie on our income statements when we go to buy a house so that we can get it. All right, we covet that. We want to get what we want. The next one's power. We may maybe pat our resume when we go to apply for a job. We may add a little bit to that, and that's a form of lying, right? Uh, we, we may want that promotion, so we, we do that. And we may lie because we want people to think that we're better than we really are. We want people to think that maybe we have different, like, different qualifications that maybe we didn't finish, we didn't do, right? Proverbs is filled with warnings against lying. Here is one of them. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. You know that uh, abomination is a pretty bad word. Uh, you know, it pretty much he hates it is what he's saying. He hates lying. Um, but those who act faithfully are his delight. So God hates lying but rejoices in the truth and faithfulness of believers. Warren Wiersbe once said, Lying involves the intent to deceive for the purpose of personal gain. An old proverb says, Half a fact is a whole lie. 
My friends, I pray that we are a church of truth. There's no room for deception and half-truths. I pray that we realize that, and this is something we've taught our kids and, and try to continue going over this, is telling half the truth is telling a whole lie. And I think we always have to realize that. When it, whenever we don't tell the full truth, when we aren't honest, we're lying. And I pray that our church is a church that is trustworthy and dependable. That, that when people look at us, they look at a group of people who can, who can be depended on. When we say something, we do it. We stick to it. When we say something, somebody tries to fact check us, well, they find it. When I say something from the pulpit, that you can look at the Bible and find what I've said and the teaching that's there, not just what I think. Right, believers should put off the old walk. The, sinful, the old sinful walk needs to be cast off, right? And we need to follow Christ in truth. Finally, number two, or second, secondary, number two, as a believer in Christ, you should put away the old ways. You should put away the old ways. We're going to read the second half of verse 9 through 10 again. Seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in, in knowledge after the image of its creator. Put off the old self. This is very similar to that put them all away that we just saw in the last verse before this. What it means is we should completely remove what is old. We have died to sin. Our old self needs, is, has been completely, trans, or it's been, been thrown away. It's been destroyed if we are in Christ. And our new self should be, or is given to us by Christ. And we were born again. Daryl Ellis in his commentary on Galatians offers pretty clear teaching to this. The old man refers to the unregenerate state and is not equivalent to the sinful nature, which will always be with us in this life. The new man means our regenerate state, our saved state, right? Putting off the sins of the old man is, a, in the, is the activity needed to help the new man have victory over the sinful nature. So this is an important distinction as we look at this old self, new self, and sinful flesh. Some people, after they get saved and maybe they're still struggling with sin, they'll be like, oh, that's my old self coming back out. Well, it's not entirely accurate because that old self was dead. It was buried. You are a new creation. You are born again. But what wasn't killed at the time was your sinful flesh. So we still are in a body that is marred by sin. The fall of Adam and Eve in the garden has continues to affect us today. And so those sins of the flesh are what comes out. It's not that you have a new self and you go back to your old self. Your old self is dead. It's gone. Jesus has taken it and given you a new self. But it's important to realize that we need a new self. Uh, that, that we can't just get new clothes and put on the old self and think that we're good to go. And that's a false teaching we're seeing in a lot of churches today. It's add Jesus to your life and things are going to be better. Put on Jesus over top of your sin, and things are going to be a lot better, right? A good example of this danger are, are false teachers such as Joel Osteen. Uh, Joel Osteen came out with a book called Become a Better You. It's my favorite book. Not so much. I'll just be honest. I would not suggest reading it. Um, it may make good fire starting, uh, something like that. But for those of you who don't know, Joel Osteen is the loosely termed pastor of loosely termed church in Texas. It's actually one of the uh, biggest, actually is the biggest church in uh, America. Uh, it's forty-five to 50,000 members. They have a sanctuary that seats 16,000. Sadly, this church isn't an actual church. It's really more of a prosperity, gospel preaching, humanistic teaching congregation that has become more of a self-help organization than a church. A couple of chapters help describe the error that we mentioned. Discovering your destiny. 
learning to like yourself and have confidence in yourself, right? Sadly, what's exalted there? The self, right? And this self was exalted without a new self. And even that new self doesn't need to be exalted, right? That new self exalts Christ. So we still, even if you are born again, you shouldn't be doing this. But most people who read this stuff and listen to this don't even have a new self. Most of them are still in their old self, and they're just putting on nicer clothes to try to make their old self look better, to make their old self look cleaner, right? And we are commanded to put off the old self. We're not commanded to take our old self and put new things on it to try to dress it up. And that's how self-help humanistic theologies work, is they, they, they feed the carnal sins of that old self. What does that old self want? Money, power, pride, wants people to look up to them, wants people to think highly of them. It wants health. That, that's what the old self longs for, those sinful desires of the old self. And so preachers or loosely formed, loosely, we'll call them speakers, uh, when, when they go into this and they start to talk about things that feed that, uh, and, and these people are like, they're just eating it up, right? They, oh, God wants you to be rich. The old self is all about that. Let's, let's do this. God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and live in a nice house and never struggle and your kids to always obey and never do anything wrong and your marriages to never have any problems. And, and that's what, okay, so sometimes we go through trials. Sometimes God uses those trials to grow us. In fact, Jesus says no servant is greater than his master. He says that I've suffered, I've been tried, and you're actually going to have it just as bad, if not worse. That's what the Bible actually teaches. Now, here's the thing. If you live by biblical model, yeah, marriages will be great because you'll have two sinners that are quick to repent. But that doesn't mean your marriage is going to be perfect. That just means you're going to be quick to repent. And you, you, yeah, hopefully you'll have children who do obey. That doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. But what, what your children are going to see is, hey, my parents love me and they discipline me. And yes, discipline, it stinks. It's no fun. I don't like being disciplined. Nobody really likes being disciplined. But we read the Word and we see that God disciplines those he loves. And so children are able to see, my parents love me. They discipline me. They hold me to a higher standard because they love me. Not because they hate me, because they love me. Those who hate me, let me do whatever I want to because they don't care about me. They care about themselves and they don't want to mess up their relationship with me. So, so they care about themselves more than they care about me. And so they aren't actually disciplining me, right? So these false teachers like to preach humanism, and like to exalt the self and try to add Jesus to yourself. But God doesn't want to take your old self and make it better. He wants to give you a completely new self. And when that new self comes, you'll still have the sinful flesh that you struggle with. It will still be there. But here's what God's doing. If you look at verse 10 here, it says, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So you put on the new self, Christ has put it on you, and now it's being renewed in knowledge after the image, image of its creator. And this word that we're seeing here, we, we see imago Dei, the image of God. We see that back in Genesis, that we're made in the image of God, and we were perfect. We were perfectly made in the image of God before the fall of man, before sin entered the world. But God, in his mercy and his grace, sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, take on our sinful our sin upon him on the cross, raised three days later, and become our intercessor. He, he, he applies his righteousness to our lives. And so we're able to be born again, given a new self. But that new self, as we walk this earth, has what? The sinful flesh, right? We still have the sinful flesh. 
So what is God doing through us and to us as we walk through this earth, as we finish this race that we're running toward Jesus Christ, this guaranteed finish line that we are given? If we are in Christ, we are a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, we, we're given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. We know the finish line, but what's happening between now and the finish line? Sanctification. And so, so we are being renewed in what? Knowledge. Knowledge of what? His Word. That's why we need to be in the Word. We need to be in the body of believers, hearing the Word preached. We need to be in, in groups together, learning, studying the Word, like growth group. We need to be studying the Word because God is sanctifying us, and He's making us, He's restoring His image in us day by day. He's making us look more like His Son through His sanctifying work in our lives as we read the Word, as the Holy Spirit works on us, as we move forward. We are to be holy as He is holy. And he will give us eventually a new transformed body where we are completely back in the image of God. How amazing is that? Although this flesh continues to decay, our new self is being renewed day by day in Christ. In the meantime, I pray that we keep, we keep following Christ and put away our old ways and we put, a, put away our old walk. And lastly, as a believer in Christ, you should put away the old world. The old world. Verse 11, here there is not Greek and Jew, <laughs> circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So these first two distinctions are actually combined. Uh, you have, we have circumcised and Jews, uncircumcised and Greeks. So those are huge distinctions, however, though. In biblical times, Gentiles despised Jews. Jews despised Gentiles. Jews would come from a Gentile land, and what did they do? kick the dirt off their shoes in disgust, saying, I don't want any of that dust going into my house. That's Gentile dust. That came from their place. I don't want this. Uh, a Jew would not eat with a Gentile. They wouldn't go into their house to eat because it was unclean, right? And then we get to two other distinctions here with, with, similar, uh, with, with some similarities. Barbarians were those who were not Greek. So anyone who was not Greek-speaking, and they weren't part of that, then they were intellectually un inferior and uncultured, according to the Greeks and Romans, right? The Scythians, though, took it to the next level. They were actually considered even more savage than the barbarian, and they were named after, uh, or that, they, they kind of came from an area above the Black Sea called Scythia. Uh, and these people were most likely slaves and, and thought to live in a very uncivilized area, even more so than the other uh, outreaches there. Then Paul moves into slave and free. I think we probably all understand the differences between these two. One's given the freedoms of a citizen, while the other is not. But why does Paul end this section we've been talking about with such a statement? For the sake of unity. And I find it interesting that Paul ends this, this section as he's discussed some very hard sins that we all struggle with, that we all have to work through, that we're all being sanctified through. And he ends it with a statement on unity. And he notes that the gospel demolishes all barriers. We all struggle with all of these, no matter what echelon of society that you think you are in. There's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. These were all huge societal and also religious barriers that kept people from, from doing life together, from even talking to one another at times. It doesn't matter what social order you were or uh, it didn't matter what religious observance that you had. The gospel demolished all barriers. All of a sudden, all of these things that we thought were important, that they thought were important, they were blasted. They were like, oh, what is this? 
What matters is that you've been born again. What matters is that you have a new self, that the old self has been crucified and the new self lives. However, today we live in a world that majors in the minors. We live in a world that, that seems to preach that skin color matters more than Jesus, uh, that, that traditions matter more than Jesus, hobbies or even interests that you have matters more than Jesus. Gone are the days of measuring a person by the content of their character, as Dr. Martin Luther, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said. Instead, our culture says that we're going to measure people by the color of their skin. We're going to measure people by the neighborhood that they live in. We're going to measure people by whatever their interests are, whatever their sexuality is. That's how we're going to measure people. That's how we're going to divide. And all of these things have no eternal significance. N- none of those issues will be issues in eternity. I'll tell you that. Because actually, we see in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, which we're going to be talking about next week. The only thing that will matter is obedience to God. So sexuality will matter, if you're obedient to God, right? But being female or male won't matter because everything will be destroyed. All that will matter was, do you love the Lord? Are you obedient to the Lord? We see here that all people from every tribe, every nation, every color, every shape, every size will be praising God in one voice. How amazing is that? Every every tribe, every nation. So, your culture doesn't matter. And we live in a world, I know that that is heresy to say in today, but whether you are from South America or Africa or Asia or Europe or America or Canada or Mexico, it doesn't matter, my friends. I hate to tell you that, but your culture does not matter. What matters is the Word of God, and what matters is the people of God because of Jesus saving us. And so we need to love others not, not because they're in the same political party as we are, not because they're in the same country as we are, not because they speak the same language as we do. We love others because Christ loved us. And we need to love our brothers and sisters despite whatever barriers that there are. And we need not to highlight these barriers. And frankly, I'm even seeing this some in our own conference, that we, we're highlighting these differences between African-American and, and Hispanic and Caucasian and we need to be united around Jesus Christ. Those things don't matter. We need preaching the gospel, not the social gospel, saying, oh, well, we need to do this and do this because that person's black or that person's Hispanic or that person's white. No, we need to love others. We need to tell them the gospel. We need to die to this world and society that does everything it can to keep us from the actual gospel of Jesus Christ, the actual power that has the power to save one who is going to hell, to save them unto heaven, to, to, to transform their old self into a new self, not into a better self, because your better old self is still doomed to destruction. But I feel like so many of our churches, and even in our own camp sometimes, is preaching this false gospel, this, we just need to do right by this group of people and that group of people. No, we need to do right by everyone, by preaching the gospel to all, with, with no caring of what color their skin is, or where they're from, or what they like, or what they do. That's the true gospel. My friends, we, we, we should not be exalting, even in our churches, but someone who 
has a certain financial status, a certain political status, a certain even intelligence or whatever. No, we should judge people based on the fruit of the Spirit, based on biblical qualifications. My friends, this should be a place of, of peace and forgiveness, community, and, and a place to belong. Church leaders should not be picked because of power or because you even like them or because, because of their charisma even. They should be chosen because they meet the biblical qualifications. Paul made it clear at the time whenever he was writing this book that the gospel is no respecter of persons. At this point, there could have been those who were slaves as elders over slave owners. So it, how amazing is that to think about? There could have been slaves who were pe- preachers, pastors, and some of their congregants were slave owners. I mean, how amazing is it to see that the kingdom of God is not the kingdom of man? Ha- pra- praise God for that. Is the kingdom of man working really well? I don't think so. I, I think we could all look at, at the news and be like, the kingdom of man is not turning out well. And all of these quote-unquote works and, and, and things and programs and ideas to try to quote-unquote make unity is doing nothing but dividing further. There is only one way we can be united, and that is in Christ. How beautiful is this ending that Paul gives us? Put away the old world. As we come to a close, I want us to remember what we discussed a couple of sermons ago about being heavenly-minded. You can only know what direction you are to go if you know the destination in which you are heading. You can only know what direction you are to go if you know the destination in which you are heading. And I pray that as we've been talking about these these sinful things that we struggle with, uh, that that you realize that we need to be heavenly-minded, not earthly-minded. It will help us to be able to put away that old world, put away the old walk, put away our old ways. Let us not try to put stained garments on the new self that Christ has given us. And finally, to summarize our points, may we walk in Christ's ways. May we walk in Christ's ways as we wait for the world that we long for, namely heaven. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your word transcends all cultures, all languages, all time periods, that the things that are just as applicable to the Colossian church are just as applicable to us today. Thank you that it's living and active, that it's not just a dead old book, that, that these words on this page as we preach through them, as we teach through them, as we learn them, as we read them, have the, has the power to change us from the inside out has the power to sanctify us and make us more like you. God, I pray that if anyone here is struggling with anger or malice or slander or any of the sins that we talked about, lying, uh, obscene talk, uh, I pray that they're able to fully give those to you, Lord, that, that you cleanse them from the inside out. May the overflow of their heart, may it be godliness that comes out, righteousness that comes out of their heart when they're squeezed. And Lord God, help us to be heavenly minded. Help us to be eternally have an eternal perspective looking at the, our forward our, the uh, wonderful world that we look forward to in heaven and may we not be uh, may we be blinded by the divisions in our world by the gospel knowing that the gospel is an equal opportunity employer it goes out to all uh, doesn't matter how what your education level is what your iq is how good looking you are how much power you have how much money you have The gospel is no respecter of persons. It is a respecter of Christ. And thank you so much for dying on the cross for our sins. And may we live in such a way to bring others to you through preaching the word to others. We love you, we praise you, and thank you. Trust me, we pray. Amen.